0: Imagine this for a moment. Imagine there is an Olympics of all things spiritual, of all things biblical going on. People were there present. And Olympic events were held in various doctrines of Scripture. I think in an area like baptism, churches of Christ would get a gold medal, at least up until more recent years. Talking about baptism and its purpose, its design, what God intended for it to be, churches of Christ have really wanted to stick with what God says about that. And well, we ought. How about the church? If we were in a spiritual olympics so to speak and the doctrine of the church was the event I suspect the churches of Christ would probably get a gold medal because many in the church deeply respect what the word of god has to say about the church as the body of christ and the family of god that the church about which we read in the new testament it's not a denomination all of that is so and though in recent years there's been some confusion among a few in churches of christ many still hold deeply to that truth thank god gold medal when we think about the topic called the Bible, if there were an event at that special Olympics, spiritually speaking, called the Bible, I think that many would think that the churches of Christ should get a gold medal because we believe the Bible's God's Word and we want to interpret it accurately and do Bible things and Bible ways and call Bible things by Bible names. And various scriptures could be given for each one of these. But what if there were a biblical event called the Trinity? What if there were a biblical event called the Godhead? I'd like to be as honest as I can be. I'm not so sure churches of Christ would do so well in that event. The doctrine of the Trinity tends to be assumed and a rather awkward. Topic, whenever the topic is discussed at all. I'm not sure that we would get a gold medal, a silver medal, or even a bronze medal because if you really stop and think about the number of sermons and classes you've heard through the years about the Godhead, about the Trinity, think of the personal study you may have done into that subject, I suspect some other events would be areas where you would do far better than the area of the Trinity. How about that? But what I want to say here is this. Churches of Christ, individual Christians, will become more Trinitarian when we truly become more biblical. Because the Trinity is a revelation of God about himself. Think about that. The passage that Bob just read from us for us in, from Matthew 28:19 and 20, the idea that Father, Son and Spirit are mentioned. This is a revealed teaching, and we need to respect this because the Trinity is crucial in really knowing God. And if there's nothing more important in in the world than knowing God, the more we study God's Word and come to know about Him, the more we'll appreciate the fact that God is Trinity. And yet I even... I, I almost hesitate to use the word Trinity because some people wonder if that's biblical. I'll use the word Godhead. It's found in older translations in Acts seventeen twenty nine, Romans 1, 20, and Colossians 2 and verse 9. And what it really means is divine nature. Most of you in the particular translation you may be using will have a term like that. Divine nature. But trinity is a perfectly good word because it accurately conveys tri, meaning three, unity, meaning one. The three in oneness of God. Now, Christians ought to be big on the subject of salvation. But salvation, Adam, is Trinitarian through and through. Salvation comes from the trinity is accomplished by the trinity and takes us home to the trinity if that's not true nothing in the bible is true Therefore, we need to become people who have a more solid, robust, and wondrous view of God as Trinity, His divine nature. Now, when we talk about God, to put it as simply as I can, when we speak of God, God is one what and three who's. One what? There is one God. One what? One divine nature, one essence, if you want to call the nature of God that. One essence. But three persons, and let me get a little more specific. The Bible teaches, the Bible reveals, the Bible indicates that God... Essentially and eternally exist as Father, Son, and Spirit. That each person, Father, Son, and Spirit, is fully God. Each person has the stuff that makes God God and has that perfectly, completely. But here's the third aspect. God eternally and essentially exists as Father, as Son, as Spirit. Each person is fully God, but the Bible's just as as true in indicating this fact. There is one God. So there is a a, a truth that's got to be upheld. God is one. He's one what? What? But there's a sense in which God is three. Three who? Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, I don't know that I can understand that completely. Well, join the crowd. Amen? This may seem somewhat confusing, but what I want you to get is this, Jordan. You were leading singing today, and Jordan will understand what I'm coming from. God is three in one sense, and He's one in another. But he's not three in exactly the same sense that he's one. That would be contradictory. But in one sense, we can say God is three. But in another sense, we have to say God is one because the Bible does. Do you understand that? I don't understand all of it, but I believe it. I don't understand how Jesus was both God and man, but he was wasn't he? Our salvation depends on that, doesn't it? Luke 19.10, Matthew 1.21-25. 1, I don't understand how God simply spoke the world into existence. That everything began out of nothing except God's spoken word. How do you illustrate that? I think it's impossible, don't you? Well, in one sense, the same is true with the Trinity. How do you illustrate the Trinity? You don't. You can't. So just quit trying, all right? Simply allow God to reveal Himself and respect what He says about Himself. All kinds of errors abound when we don't. If salvation comes from God and is accomplished by God and through God and will take us home to glory to God, we better love and appreciate the Trinity. Even though we may not understand every part of it, of the subject. Now take a minute and let's look at two passages from the New Testament briefly that show God as trinity triune three and one and then we're going to look a little bit at the trinity in the life of God's people because doctrine is meant to be appreciated and lived it's not just a bunch of theories and cold uh, stale doctrine we're talking about the whole idea of the trinity is part of knowing God I want to know God as richly and as deeply and as truly as I possibly can. Don't you? I suspect that's why you're here. But I kind of get the impression among some Christians, some members of churches of Christ, they just kind of throw up their arms here. That's not the way to think. Look, if you will, at 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. In 2 Corinthians 13, and verse 14... The passage speaks of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in desperate need of the grace of God, are we not? Look, if you will, at the passage as it keeps on going. The love of God. We are in desperate need of the love of God. And then notice this. The fellowship, the communion, the association of the Holy Spirit. We need fellowship, love, and grace from God and with God or we are hopeless. God is Trinity. God is a Trinity. The divine nature... When we speak of God, we are referring to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a general sense. Next. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 1 and look at verses 3 through 14. It's a rich passage. There is a truckload of truth and then some to be unpacked from Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. But notice how it begins. It begins with a statement of blessing and praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. When you keep looking at this, three times he burst into praise. Verse 6, verse 12, verse 14. He burst into praise to God. But a little more specific observation, will notice this. In verses 3 through 5 or 6, he especially is speaking of God the Father. That the Father thought of a plan and that He chose a way whereby people can be saved. Look at verse 7 and work your way with me, especially through verse 12. And reference is made to Jesus who redeemed us and made possible our adoption into God's family. Forgiveness is found in Him and through His blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7. But continue... Look at verses 13 and 14. Sealed with the Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance. A Trinitarian statement that's made concerning the great plan of God in saving men. Three times he bursts into praise and three times he speaks of God and blessing seems to fit well the Trinitarian overtones of the passage. Go with me, if you will, now to the second main idea, talking about the Trinity and the life of the church. You know, I talked about that if we were to have an Olympics, there'd be subjects we'd really do well on. And that I'm concerned that the Trinity's not one of them, and why shouldn't it be since it has to do with the knowledge of God? Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10 talks about when Jesus returns, he will give rest, relief to those that know him and obey his gospel. But punishment will be given to those that don't know God and have not obeyed the gospel. This is serious. To know God involves seeing something about the threeness and yet the oneness of God. The Trinity is the engine that drives the train of truth. The Trinity is the engine that drives the train of truth because God exists eternally and essentially as Father, Son, and Spirit. Each one's fully God. There's one God, but every doctrine has profound meaning and implication when we think about it in a Trinitarian way. Let me give you an example real practically. Prayer, generally speaking is to God. In the New Testament, generally speaking, prayer is offered to the Father in whose name knowing that the Spirit does what? He intercedes for us in our prayers, Romans 8:26 and 27. We are to engage in worship knowing that God is who we worship. Father, Son, and Spirit. We seek to honor Him. Trinitarian implications. Like I said, when we are carried to glory, we will be in the presence of God. And God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Pretty amazing. When we observe the Lord's Supper we have offered our prayer to God, generally the Father, being mindful of Jesus the Son and the fact that the Spirit was the one who was at work in the life of Jesus and at least in some passages is referred to being the one who raised Him. Turn to Acts 2 looking at the Spirit and the Father and the Son, the Trinity in the life of the church in the inception. The inception, the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 2, you begin in verses 1 through 13 with the coming of the Spirit upon the apostles in a miraculous way. you have the proclamation of Peter and the apostles, especially in verses 14 and following, going to about verse 41. Through the Holy Spirit, they declare that the will of God was done and that they, sinful men put to death the Son of God. Acts 2, 22-24. Then you have Acts 2.38 when people say, What shall we do to be right with God, to be saved? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts 2 and the inception, the beginnings of the church, great Trinitarian emphasis, involvement, mention. Turn to Ephesians 4. Look at verses 1 through 16, and it's a great passage dealing with the platform of unity, a message that must be declared loudly and clearly by anybody that wants to be counted among God's people. And just as there's one faith and one baptism, there is one Spirit, there is one Lord... There is one God and Father of all. If we are to be a people of unity, if we are to hold to God firmly, we better be Trinitarian. And it's not that Jesus is second class deity and that the Holy Spirit is third class, God is God. Three persons, each fully, perfectly God, yet one in a sense that is real, three in a sense that is also real, a different sense. Turn to Romans 8. Not only do you see the Trinity in the inception of the church and mentioned it with with great power concerning the unity of the church and the hope of God's people, you get to Romans 8, you've got the assurance of God's people. Romans 8, 1, "...there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ." Romans 8.28, we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. No complications for people that are God's faithful people. No condemnation, no real lasting complications. God is greater than our troubles. Then you look at verses 37 through 39. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No separation. People need assurance. We need confidence and a hope that because of God our lives are going to turn out okay. And Romans 8 is certainly a high point in the New Testament concerning assurance where we really can sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. But if you were to look at Romans 8 and look at the number of references to God, look at the references to the Son, look at references to the Spirit, Assurance is Trinitarian. Assurance comes from God. Last passage. Turn to Jude 20 and verse 21. As we live our lives from day to day, as we await the second coming of Jesus, the Trinity has profound daily implications. How so? Look at Jude 20, 20 and 21. Jude, verses 20 and 21. As we await the return of Jesus, we are to pray in... Pray in what? Thank you, Terry. As we look at Jude 20 and 21, Lynn, we are to look to the love of the love of God. And we look also to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't tell me that deep doctrines don't have daily application. I may not understand everything about the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of the Godhead, but I sure can appreciate the place that the Godhead has in the church's unity In the church's assurance and while the church, the people of God, await the coming again of Jesus. As we close, knowing that God eternally exists as three persons that we know as Father, Son, and Spirit, it helps a whole lot. God did not create us because He needed us. Because He needed the relationship, because He needed to be loved, for example. I would say that because God is who God is, love had always existed within the Trinity. Wouldn't you? And here's something else to think about, and it's rich. The love that exists within the Godhead, the Trinity, is deeper, richer, and far more precious than any love that any of us have ever experienced here in this world. Wouldn't that be true? You think of your dearest, most precious, most beautiful relationship and what exists in love within the Trinity dwarfs it. So did God make us because He needed somebody to love Him? I'd say Father, Son, and Spirit have loved each other and loved each other as beautifully and perfectly as could be done, wouldn't you? But He created us because He wanted to. And He wanted to love us and to share His love with us, Father, Son, and Spirit, in an amazingly special way. Salvation comes from God, is accomplished through God, the Trinity, and results in our going home to God, who is Trinity. That's pretty neat. I look forward to learning a lot more about God over there than I know over here. Amen for you on that? It'll be rich. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement And earlier we noted the importance of baptism based upon faith and repentance in order to have our sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus. At that point one enters the church, the body of Christ, the family of God that the New Testament reveals. What a blessing to be part of God's family, are you? If you've not done these things, you haven't responded to Jesus and the gospel. And for those of us who are Christians, some doctrines are more complex than others. But I'm going to say it again. I don't think that God's people should be known simply for what we say about baptism, simply for what we say about the church, or the sinfulness, the wrongfulness of instrumental music and worship. Those are all crucial. Those are all necessary. But we better be known for what we're saying about God, too. And if not, we may not be as balanced as we think. Let us stand and sing.